0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the Capitol. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by James Brown, co-owner of Hall Brown Family Law, a firm which specializes in the provision of legal expertise pertaining to family law. James, hello. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Thank you for making time to come on the show today. We might as well jump straight in. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Leader is one of those terms which can have a variety of attributes attached to it. For me, being led, I looked for someone who was clear in what they wanted to achieve and clear in respect of how you were going to play a part in achieving that goal. So for for me, all I looked for was clarity. Mm -hmm. As a leader of my own firm, I have to add some additional dimensions to that. So we try to be very clear about what it is that we want to try and achieve. We try and be clear to people to say, look, this will be your role in it. But then I think what we try and do now is get individual buy-in from people over and above that specific role that they're doing. So to sit and as a, what's in essence a startup, you know, we've been going for three and a half years, to try and make them feel that they are an integral part of the growth and the story of our firm.
0: How would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Um, We are very informal, largely due to the fact that law is quite, Still quite a staid and old fashioned industry, so one of the ways we try and distinguish ourselves is the fact that we're incredibly down to earth, uh, black and white with people. We try and employ a sense of humor at all times its you know it's quite david brent isn 't it to see yourself as funny so I'm not saying we see ourselves as funny, but you know, family law unfortunately, we are exposed to you know the best of people and the worst of people, mm-hmm. so we try and use um, a sense of humor and I think mean, the third one is. I would never ask someone to do something that I'm not prepared to do myself. So when you have a specific value, we try and actually live it. People talk about flexible work, for example, and we would say, look, we have an excellent flexible work policy, quite different to lots of other law firms. But rather than just talking about it, we then try and actually live it. So, for example, I'm the father of two young children. I ensure that I drop my children at school every day because there's no point saying, look, Don't worry, we're flexible workers. If the owners slash bosses are sitting there from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m., there's still going to be a long hours culture. Whereas if you say, no, look, I'm serious about this. We want you to have a family life. We want you to have that work-life balance. I myself am doing it. Then you can set an example by doing it. So, you know, high energy trying to live our values ourselves, using a sense of humor, but also being clear in respect of what we want from people.
0: Now, as you mentioned, uh, you and your staff are exposed to some of the uh, more stressful situations uh, involving uh, your clients. How do you handle uh, your employees' stress levels?
1: We, we have a sort of both informal and formal way of addressing it. So informally, uh, there is just a simple matter of ensuring that the office is entirely open plan. And I do a mental inventory of every single member of staff every morning. So I will mentally go around every single person in the room to try and assess and see what their workload is like, the difficulties of cases that they're dealing with, try and have an insight and understand what might be going on in their private life. But on a formal basis, we actually retain a psychotherapist on a completely confidential basis who is mm-hmm. available 24 hours a day to our staff. They're a separate company, so that psychotherapist cannot report to us anything that the staff says because it would be a breach of her professional duties and all we receive is an invoice at the end of the month and obviously that invoice can hugely vary because at any given time there can be no one who needs additional mental health support through to a number of individuals do and the actual amount of input they require from her can vary on a month-to-month basis. So we take uh, mental well-being incredibly seriously.
0: Now, is that common within your profession to provide uh, mental health services for one's employees? I think it's
1: common to talk about it. And I think it's common to talk about mechanisms to help people cope. I know of no other firm that has an actual retained professional on a confidential basis. So if someone has difficulties or they suffer from PTSD or whatever it might be, firms at that point are very happy to retain individuals to help them. But What we're trying to do is go one step further and have someone available all the time that they're encouraged to talk to, get support from, so that hopefully we can address issues and get in front of them before they become a proper problem.
0: Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you are first starting out. Was there a particular individual or influence on your Uh, ability to become a leader and what formed uh, your leadership strategy today?
1: Uh, Definitely is the answer to that. Um, There were two very specific individuals that I worked with at the firm I trained at. So I trained at a London firm. um, uh, The the time was Manches, it's now called Manches Pennington, who were the number one for family law in the country. And there were two individuals who I sort of really looked up to, but for very different reasons. The first of them was the then head of the family team, a lady called Jane Simpson. She was the sort of doyenne of family law. She did the biggest cases in the country. She was incredibly intelligent, could be litigious when she was required to be, but always really focused on trying to get people to the end with as little stress, as little conflict, and as little cost as possible. But despite being so hugely successful, She never took herself too seriously. So in terms of a professional style, I've always tried to sort of ask myself, you know, what would Jane do? And in fact, when I chose to move home to Manchester, Jane wrote me the most lovely card um, because we've been working together then for a few years. And I still keep that card as my bookmark by my bed, you know, every night. And I will have a read of it if I'm having a patch where I'm, you know, doubting my own ability or whatever. Mm. So then the other person was a chap called Jonathan Maud, and he was head of the employment team. And not only was he a really talented lawyer, but he was loved by his team, but always, for example, did the school drop-off for his own son. And I remember thinking, you know, as a kind of young 20-something, you know, I think that guy has really sort of nailed the balance between having a successful career and being a father and, you know, having a team who is really loyal to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try and probably fail every day. But, you know, the ideal, you know, a blend of those two people is what I always try and strive to achieve.
0: Now, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be?
1: Oh, do you know, this is very difficult. I know. (laughs) This is very difficult. Um, This is going to make me incredibly unpopular uh, with a lot of your listeners, I suspect, because it's so divisive but I was and remain an enormous fan of Tony Blair. Uh
0: Um,
1: When when you look at the transition that the Labour Party made from what was an unelectable party at the time due to the severity of some of the positions it was taking to the most enormous landslide achieved when he became prime minister, And it's very, very easy to lose sight of that when you look at the later parts of Tony's career and the, you know, some would say monumental errors he made in relation to, for example, the Iraq War, um, etc. But the thing that always gets glossed over is everyone sits and they say, transition of the Labour Party, hugely successful, um, not one but two election victories, mistakes towards the end. But actually what people lose sight of is the practical compromises that he himself had to make and specifically the party had to make in order to achieve greater good. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we now take for granted the minimum wage, for example, but that was a Labour policy and it was achieved by them, you know, compromising of the other party on some of their left-wing principles, but actually probably achieved significantly more as a result of it. Compromising some of their left-wing principles, injected enormous amounts of money into education, etc. Now, I'm well aware that there are... Huge parts of the population that would disagree with me on everything I've just said, and 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 that's not a problem. But I use it more as a wider example, which is I think true leaders do not need to just be resolute in respect of what they are trying to achieve. I think true leaders are able to look at the wide array of individuals that are their stakeholders, be it you know a, a, an electorate if they are a, a politician, be it staff or clients if you're running a business. And to sit and say, do you know what? I have to be flexible enough to compromise over here as an organization if I'm to achieve what I really want to achieve as my overall objective. And it's, I don't know. I, I, my idea of a leader isn't just a strong man or someone who will resolutely pursue one principle. My idea of a leader is someone who is, is, is uh, flexible enough to achieve what they really need
0: to now, James, unfortunately, we're out of time. But before I let you go, uh, what does uh, the next 12 months have in store for Hall Brown Family Law?
1: We are growing rapidly. So we, we, we opened in uh, April 2016. We're already um, over 40 staff, a £4 million turnover. We have offices in Manchester and London, and we're already sort of number one for what we do in, in, in the north. And have a rapidly growing team in London doing very good work. We are shortly to be opening an office uh, in Yorkshire, so we will be um, building a team over there. I think our objective, really, over the next couple of years is to have uh, a a leading team in each of the key areas of the country.
0: Well, James, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to having you on the programme again in the near future. James, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was James Brown, co-owner of Hall Brown Family Law. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party, apart from... I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far?
3: Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, Are they in in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave Woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April.
2: Uh, There has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the... The future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it? that you would want, that would actually have done more to change those lives. I can think of two or three myself in terms Mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime, I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. ...staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies. certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes,
3: I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom up. It was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them. Uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take; we we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to. Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function.
3: Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister conglomerating, I suppose you would call it, plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that... um Football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know, you're know you a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No,
3: it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally if you're not just because it's Sheffield united but because if you're playing liverpool uh and you're playing man city then that's a global audience you're immediately beamed across the world so that's good i i, I could cry sometimes we can we can beat uh, brighton premier league side in the fa cup at brighton we can beat leeds at leeds i was there when we beat them two nil in January, and then you can lose 5-0 at <laughs> home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by by half-time. What, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game what what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as prime minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with
3: that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm-hmm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief... That you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it, and if you can't do that under real cross examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, mm-hmm. for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't don't w- do without it. a doubt.
2: Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how of uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question,
3: isn't and there? Try and the that's, that's <laughs> I try to answer the or questions. That's what I always tried to answer the questions. Or be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question, explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> at the, um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people... But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people
3: are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the The second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both Sharp minds around you, in my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers, I pretty well picked my ministers sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference mm. but in in the end you 've got to like what you 're doing I mean the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> as a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple
2: of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit, uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday
3: finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019 uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia on on the, um, the the next few months. I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged.
0: Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland